Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. I'm back with another true crime story to lull you to sleep or perhaps to give you nightmares. I'm starting tonight's episode with a question to you. Do you believe in the existence of consensual murder? Is it possible for a person to actually consent to being murdered? And if so, is this a legitimate get-out-of-jail-free card for the killer? These are some of the questions we'll work towards answering as we walk through the murder of Sharon Lopatka, a woman whose body would be found in a shallow grave just a few days after emailing back and forth with a man she had asked to murder her as part of some sort of fantasy. But was this a fetish that went further than Sharon ever thought it would, Or is this a legitimate case of consensual murder? Let's talk about it. On October 13th, 1996, a man from Hampstead, Maryland named Victor found a very strange and shocking letter that had apparently been written by his wife, Sharon. It was in her handwriting and it said, If my body is never retrieved, don't worry. Know that I'm at peace. It also said that she would not be returning home and asked that he not look for her killer. As you can imagine, this was truly horrifying to find. Sharon had told him earlier that morning that she was taking a trip to visit some of her friends in Georgia. Clearly, that was never her intention, and he would find her empty vehicle parked at the local train station. Victor immediately went to the local police as he was concerned for his wife's safety. What would be discovered during the investigation into Sharon's whereabouts would shock Victor and the police, as the blonde woman who worked from home the majority of her life was hiding some really big secrets, particularly with regards to her sex life and fantasies. Before I continue, I want to note that we'll be talking about some not-safe-for-work type stuff. In my opinion, what consenting adults choose to do in the bedroom is completely up to them and their private business alone, but we will be drifting far from the typical BDSM type of fetishes and edging towards some really disturbing fantasies in our story tonight. If you're listening in a public place, you might want to pop some headphones over your ears. I'll give you some time by talking about Sharon's life leading up to her disappearance. Sharon Lopatka was born into a very strict Orthodox Jewish family in Baltimore, Maryland. 
There were a lot of rules to follow, a lot of restrictions with regards to what she could and could not do, especially with being a female. The family spent a lot of time at the synagogue, and it was very much expected that Sharon would grow up and marry a nice Orthodox Jewish man that her parents approved of. But this was not to be. In fact, Sharon would meet and marry Victor, a man who was Catholic. He was a construction worker at the time in 1991. Her parents most certainly did not approve of this union, but it was a way for Sharon to break away from her strict family. After their wedding, the pair relocated to Hampstead, Maryland, where they lived on a ranch-style one-story home at the end of a cul-de-sac. According to their neighbors, they were very private and they were rarely ever seen around the neighborhood. In particular, Sharon was hardly ever seen, and several neighbors would later say that they had no idea that she had even lived there. Though Victor would sometimes be spotted jogging around the area with the couple's black lab or riding his bike. The couple had no children. Not really the type to hold down a typical job, Sharon was very handy with the computer and very resourceful with finding ways to earn additional money from her home. One of the first gigs that she started was in 1995 when she began contract work creating online advertisement for businesses. She would basically create these banners, buttons, and websites that would redirect internet traffic to various businesses, and then she would get a cut of the money. If you think about it, she was really ahead of the trend for these type of work-from-home positions that many people do today. As you can imagine, Sharon spent a ton of time online and on her computer because of her job. And then in her spare time, she began to explore some of the darker corners of the web. She would spend a lot of time on pornographic websites, chat rooms, and message boards that were geared towards people with very specific fetishes, including bondage, feet fetish, and even necrophilia. She would spend hours and hours looking at photos, reading posts, messaging back and forth with men, and she was really into it. She would use fake names or pseudonyms and pictures that she found online to create these different online personas. These sites allowed her to enter these worlds anonymously and get off on anything and everything that they had to offer. At one point, she solicited a forum that was centered around cannibalistic sex. She was looking for someone who would force-feed her until she met her goal weight of 475 pounds. She was even willing to move to wherever they were located so that they could feed her until she weighed almost 500 pounds. This was all just a part of one fantasy that she had. There would be several others. One alias that she used frequently was the name Nancy Carlson, who was a 300-pound strict dominatrix and disciplinarian. Under this name, she would solicit sales on the message boards, looking for men who wanted to buy her dirty underwear. Which again, fair enough. If there is a market for it and no one is getting hurt, do you boo. She also offered to create custom 30-minute videos in which she would do just about anything that they asked her to do for $100. But she would also sell access to pornographic videos of unconscious women being raped after they had been drugged or rendered unconscious with chloroform. And this is where my understanding stops. 
I'm not so naive that I'm not aware that there are fetishes for this kind of thing, but I don't really think that that makes it okay. Now that Sharon was missing and her husband had found that strange note, police were taking a very close look at her computer and her internet history to see if they could find any clues as to what may have happened to her. This is when they found all of those fetish websites, along with over 50 posts written by Sharon under the name Nancy Carlson, talking about her sexual desire of being tortured to death. She garnered a lot of attention on these sites from people who had the same sort of fantasies, and I can only imagine what kind of people would be interested in connecting with someone who wants to be tortured to death. Not everyone liked what Sharon was putting out there, though. In fact, a sex workers' rights activist named Tanith, who was an active member on these same sites, was really worried about the kinds of things that Sharon was posting. According to the Washington Post, she became so concerned with Sharon's posts that she had actually messaged her directly and tried to get her to stop. But Sharon replied simply with, I want the real thing. I did not ask for you preaching to me. Of course, this kind of activity caught the attention of the police, who were now looking for her after that bizarre letter was found, and they dug a little further. They would discover nearly 900 emails between Sharon and a man named Robert Frederick Glass, a 45-year-old computer analyst from Lenore, North Carolina. The emails were incredibly graphic and violent in nature. Sharon talked about how she wanted him to fulfill her fantasy of being tortured to death, and Glass agreed, going into great detail of how he would torture her and eventually end her life. The pair chatted for about a month and a half, while Sharon's husband Victor was none the wiser, and eventually they decided that they would meet up in real life to make their fantasies come true. Sharon would make the 400-mile trip to North Carolina, where Glass lived, and they would carry out their plan. All of the answers to the police questions were right in front of them, contained in those graphic emails. It would be discovered that Sharon had actually met up with a man in New Jersey prior to this with the same sort of plan. However, that man thought that it was all just a fantasy, and he backed out when he realized that Sharon really did want to be tortured to death. This time, in this meeting with Glass, everything would be different. And so, on October 13, 1996, Sharon Lopatka would travel to North Carolina to meet this new man, only leaving behind an anonymous note for her husband. At first, the police weren't really sure how to handle this information that they had uncovered. Think about it for a minute. Yeah, the note, it's a little scary. And yes, Sharon has explicitly gone into detail about being tortured to death for sexual gratification. And yes, it appears she has actually gone to meet the man who has agreed to go through with it all. On the flip side... Sharon is an adult woman who has left by her own free will and the police have no idea just how serious the emails are. Perhaps this is just all a part of the fantasy and maybe they're just meeting up to have sex and role play this whole thing. Still, on the chance that Sharon is in very real danger, the Maryland police connect with the police in North Carolina and they decide to monitor Glass's trailer over the next few days just to kind of see what they see. They're pretty much expecting to see Sharon at the trailer alive and well, 
carrying out this affair and this fantasy with this man. But they watch for several days and Sharon is nowhere to be seen. She also has not reached out to her husband or any of her friends or family. It was time to knock on the door and ask some questions. So who is this Robert Glass guy? Well, he went by the name Bobby and he worked in the tech department for the county. He had no prior criminal record, nothing besides a speeding ticket and an expired inspection sticker. Glass had been married for 14 years to a woman named Sherry, and the couple had three children together, two daughters and a son. Sherry had said that he had always been a generally pleasant, hardworking man, but he began to change, and it turned out she never really knew him at all. The couple had only recently split after Sherry discovered what he was doing during all of the time that he spent on his computer. She discovered the very graphic and disturbing emails about his sexual fantasies of rape and torture between him and Sharon, and she decided to pack up her kids and get the hell out of there. Smart woman. I love to travel. From the bustling city of Tokyo to the beaches of Thailand, there's nothing I enjoy more than getting the chance to see the world and experience different cultures firsthand. But the language barrier, it can be an issue. Sure, you can use an app on your phone, but things often get lost in translation. I truly believe that learning at least some of the language of the land that you're visiting is the first step to ensuring a smooth and meaningful experience. That's why I'm excited about Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language that you want to learn. Rosetta Stone has been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Japanese, Spanish, German, Korean, Italian, and more. Learning a new language can be tough especially with all of the different nuances. But Rosetta Stone is designed to help you speak like a local, so you'll feel confident in what you're saying. I don't know how many times I've been traveling to a new country and struggled to get my point across just because I wasn't properly pronouncing something that I thought I knew, which is why I love Rosetta Stone's built-in true accent feature, which helps you master your accent. They also have convenient desktop and app options so you can learn on the go. Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership includes all 25 languages. So once you're finished learning one language, you can start on another. Whether you're an avid traveler like me or just want to impress your friends with a new skill, it's a steal of a deal at 50% off. That's right. 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. On October 25th, investigators were able to get a search warrant for Glass's trailer and his property. 
They knocked on his door several times to serve him this warrant, but he was away at work. So they decided to go ahead anyway. They found the trailer completely littered with garbage and dirt. It was obvious that he had let the place go when his wife and his kids moved out. But beyond the mess, they found some really important things. Several items that were identified as belonging to Sharon, which confirmed that she had in fact been there. They also found drug paraphernalia, bondage equipment, a pistol, and child pornography magazines, as well as on his computer. Disturbing, but no sign of Sharon anywhere. Police would search for several days, but they failed to find Sharon in the home. Until one officer pointed out a fresh mound of soil that was approximately 75 feet away from the trailer. They dug it up, and they found Sharon's decomposing body in the shallow grave. It was actually quite strange that Glass had buried her body in such a visible spot. His property was quite large, and it had lush woodland all around it. Police would later say that if he had buried it deeper into the forest, they likely never would have found her. Glass was arrested at work and initially charged with first-degree murder. This charge would be lessened to manslaughter after hearing everything that Glass had to say. During the police interview, he told investigators that on October 13th, he picked Sharon up from the train station and they drove back to his trailer. The two had been making plans for weeks to meet up and engage in consensual, rough sex. They had plans to use all kinds of props during a roleplay type scenario, including straps, rope, wire, leather, and even knives. But they had both agreed to this, according to Glass. And they fulfilled those plans. However, Glass said at one point they were using a nylon cord and engaging in erotic asphyxiation, where you basically choke someone in a way that arouses them without killing them, of course. However, in this instance, Sharon ended up dying and Glass would say, I don't know how much I pulled the rope. I never wanted to kill her, but she ended up dead. I find this case to be very similar to another story that I covered out of Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Christopher Garnier claimed to have accidentally choked an off-duty police officer to death during rough sex, according to him. He then put her body in a recycling bin and dumped it off the side of a bridge. In court, his defense team would go on to pretty much publicly shame the victim for her sexual preferences and her past. In that case, Garnier was sentenced to life in prison, which translates to about 13 and a half years before he's eligible to apply for parole. It's the automatic punishment for second-degree murder in Canada. The big difference in that case, though, is that there really wasn't enough evidence to show that the rough sex was consensual and that it was actually an accident. In this case, you have a note that's written by the victim where it appears that she very much wanted to be strangled so aggressively that she could and really would die. You also have all of those emails where she explicitly said that she wanted to be tortured to death as part of a sexual fantasy. And you have a witness come forward who says that he met up with her previously for the same sort of sexual interaction, but he chickened out because she really wanted him to torture her to the point of her dying. 
With Sharon's death, the medical examiner who performed the autopsy wrote that she likely died three days after arriving at Glass's trailer. He also found evidence that her death was likely due to asphyxiation, just as Glass had claimed. Something that was kind of strange, though, was that there were no marks or bruises on Sharon's neck, and there weren't any other marks on her body to show that she may have been tortured or engaged in rough sex. Still, police had all of those emails and that letter that she wrote to her husband. So, the question remains, does a person have the ability to give someone permission to murder them? I think that's what it really comes down to. Glass can say that it was an accident, but based upon the evidence, it appears that Sharon really did want to die this way. In my opinion, this goes far beyond anything like assisted suicide, particularly in the case where someone is suffering from severe physical ailments that hinder the quality of their life. I don't think anyone should ever have the legal right to take someone else's life based upon a sexual fantasy of being murdered. In that case, that individual needs help. And I think the courts in this situation agreed. As I said, Glass was initially charged with first-degree murder, but that would be dropped down to voluntary manslaughter. We'll never really know if he accidentally killed Sharon or if he carried out that sexual fantasy that she very clearly wanted. Glass pled guilty to the manslaughter charges as well as to six counts of child pornography. He was sentenced to just 36 to 53 months for killing Sharon and 21 to 26 months for multiple counts of sexual exploitation of a minor. And in my opinion, that's just disgusting and wrong. And if he were ever let out, he would be high risk for reoffending. But guess what? Sometimes karma steps in. Just over two years into his time in jail and just two weeks before he was scheduled to be released, he had a heart attack and he died at the age of 51 years old. And maybe I'm a heartless jackass, but good. Anyone that gets off on child pornography needs to stay far away from the public forever. Again, just my opinion. This is another case where I would love to hear your thoughts. Do you believe in the idea of consensual murder, particularly when it comes to carrying out a sexual fantasy? I'm not talking about assisted suicide or euthanasia. I'm talking about a person giving another person explicit permission to kill them as part of some sort of sexual fantasy that they would want carried out. Should anyone have the right to give another person this permission? And should the person who carries it out be charged? Or is this a free pass? Let me know in the comments what you think. That's it for me tonight. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper. Or I'm on YouTube. It's Nikki Young, Serial Napper, all one word. And I'd love if you can give me a thumbs up and subscribe. Until next time, don't be a Dahmer or a Robert Glass who may or may not have accidentally killed Sharon, but definitely had inappropriate images of children in his trailer. Bye.